Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. I'm Ryan Van Bibber. Joining me today, as usual, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing great. Excellent. Uh, I guess you guys are enjoying um, uh, the not-so-quiet offseason in the NFL this <laughs> last couple weeks. It's As we know, it's never truly off-season in the NFL, so... That's all right, though. It keeps us talking about football. Keeps us in business. That's that's not. A, you can't complain about job security. That's what my dad used to say. Well, you loosely define talking about football, I suppose. <laughs> that's talking why I told, about the sport. I, I told somebody the other day I'm going to take the bar exam after doing this job <laughs> yeah. for a few years and see if I could pass it. Seriously. Well, let's not start then with the courtroom stuff. Let's let's go to the big news um, from last night. I think the uh, things are going to look a little different on the field next year when a team scores a touchdown. Owners approved a big change. It's the first change to the way the NFL scoring system works in more than 20 years. And obviously, I'm talking about the change to the extra point approved by owners yesterday. Um, now the ball's going to be at the 15-yard line when you want to kick a PAT instead of the two-yard line. It sets up a 33-yard kick. In theory, it makes it a little more difficult to, to hit those kicks. Um, so, you know, I, I saw I saw reactions both ways. Some people really like it, and then, of course, you have the people that really hate it too. <laughs> Steven and Danny, let's, let's start with you, Steven. Where do you fall on this change? Well, I've just kind of said from the get-go since they first announced that they might go with something like this, that it, it, it's a solution searching for a problem. Yeah. I, I don't see anything wrong with the extra point. Uh, I kind of said this before. Look, that gives you an opportunity during a game where usually you're kind of glued to your seat and watching all the action to get up and go get some popcorn or, you know, go to the concession stand if you're at the game, get up and, 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 and handle your business if you're, you're watching at home. <laughs> Uh, now you, you got to be watching for extra points and stuff. It, it's just like, man, it, it, I, I hope that there's not any unintended consequences. And even now, uh, stuff that I hadn't thought about is coming up because there's going to be a different place to set the ball if you're going for two versus whether you're mm-hmm. actually going to kick extra points still. So now that eliminates any chance of, I don't know that anybody was ever going to do a, a fake extra point anyway. But you can't fake an extra point to get the two. Uh, so you're letting them know, first of all, that this is going to be a two-point play. And that's one more play that the guys have a chance to get injured on. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, it's one of those things. That I, I don't hate it. I just don't understand why we needed it in the first place. Yeah. And that was kind of what I was surprised about, that it, it passed 30-2 to two in terms of the vote. Like, I didn't realize it was this popular of a movement, you know, like why, I guess, why was it so close to being unanimous in terms of how the teams wanted it to go? Um, the Seahawks punter, John Ryan tweeted this morning. And I thought that was, it made a lot of sense. He goes, this is exactly what every fan wants. More kickers deciding the outcome of games based on made and missed extra points. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why? Well, I don't get it. Like what? Like it just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it adds a little bit of intrigue to that and, and, Point afters have been so automatic that it, I guess that's part of the competition committee's like role is to make sure things are whatever competitive. But um, 
But yeah, it, it's weird. I, I, my question is, will it increase the instance of two point conversions? You know, because there were only like yeah fifty something of them last year throughout all the year. And so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if teams actually start going for two more, or if it's just you know because the the thirty three yard field goal is still pretty much a chip. You know, for for most of these guys, and and I think the the stats point to it's a slightly less accurate, but you know it's still pretty darn accurate. Well, somebody somebody had a stat. I, I can't remember where I saw it this morning, but there was a stat that somebody had done um, that thirty three yard field goals um, from not not from the hash marks, but the ones that were from the middle of the field, they had like a ninety seven percent, slightly over ninety seven percent success rate. So you're not you know, you're not shaving off too much of the the automaticness of this, but that's like Stephen says, you are making a pretty significant change to this, and and it's and it's always with these things, it's too. always the unknown consequences. And let me say this too, just quickly, as a former player, uh-huh. and you know, we're not supposed to say these things, right? But it's the truth. What's <laughs> an extra point, man? There's not a lot of guys going, you know, balls to the walls trying to block an extra point. <laughs> It's just not. You know, there's a little bit of brother-in-law going on there. Yeah. Now, what special teams coach isn't going to be coaching his guys up to block every single extra point now? And yeah. so, like I said, once again, it's more – you're going to have more plays now where guys are, are really expending themselves, and that's why I'm worried that you might see more injuries and stuff behind this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's – you know, they, they're kind of chipping away at the kickoff. I mean, you know, the the changes they've made to the kickoff that have – increase the number of touchbacks and cut down, you know, they outlawed the wedge formation and stuff like that. So it's, you've got that, you know, you rob Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Yeah, that is kind of a, yeah, that's a good point. That's odd in terms of the injury factor. And fan, fans are going to be pissed if, you know, because I, I know the Seahawks, for instance, the team that I follow the most closely, they, they put a lot of their starters on special teams plays like that. And so, you see a starter go down on an extra point. I mean, people well, are going to be pissed. Well, that's Seattle, though. I mean, hell, you got the <laughs> yeah. best free safety in the league as the punt return man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that didn't last long, though. <laughs> <laughs> and indignant about it. That was a funny thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, who are you to question us? Come on, man. You went too hard. Um, you know, the the there's another element to it, too. Um, that's that's a big change is that now, and something we've seen in college football, but not the NFL, is that now the ball's a live ball and the defense can, you know, the defense can intercept or pick up a fumble and, and score points of their own on those plays too. So you have that. I mean, I think that adds yeah. to Steven's point. I mean, you, that adds another element of, you know, guys going out balls to the wall now. Absolutely, well, because yeah. listen, if, if, if you block a kick, nobody's going to catch you. You, you got basically the two, maybe three different people that can get you is like, you know, the wing guys on the ends because those are usually kind of tight ends or smaller guys. But everybody else is offensive linemen and the kicker and the punter. Which yeah. one of those guys is going to tackle somebody if the the kid gets blocked and, and, and it's a defender taking it back for, for two points? Yeah. Nobody. I mean, so, it, once again, it, it behooves you to try to block those extra points. Yeah. And it's interesting to think, like, imagine a team, you know, like, scoring two points on an extra point late in the game, like, the defense scores on an extra point attempt. Like, it's probably not going to happen very often, but it's it's an interesting, like, little wrinkle to, like, how that how that play can go. Like, you could potentially see a defense score after it on a touchdown play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So 
it's definitely an interesting <laughs> way to do it. Well, that's what somebody said. You could have now a touchdown, you know, if depending on how the play goes, the point after goes, you could now have a touchdown that's only worth four points. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, in total, it, look, I'm, I'm thinking about Greg Schiano right now all of a sudden. <laughs> and look, you, you, you got an end of the game situation where you're going to win the game, right? The touchdown ties the game. The extra point wins it. <laughs> what happens if you get your extra point kick uh, blocked and they run it back and that's how you lose the game? Yeah. yeah. Man, listen, like I said, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. <laughs> yeah. It's always the unintended consequences with these things. It always is. And I just, there's a really good post up on Football Zebras if you guys get some time today or sometime soon. You should definitely check it out, but it just got, it, it, they kind of look at some of those, you know, possible unintended consequences that you're going to see from this. And I think one thing, now this is just pure trivia, but it is kind of interesting. But now you theoretically, you have a one point play for the first time ever in the NFL, the possibility at least of scoring just one point in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you could now you could even have, you know, a 6-1 game in the end of the season. So you'll have this whole new wrinkle to the scoring. It's just, I don't know, it's, you know, it'd be a one-point safety kind of thing. It's just, I don't know, you know I, I thought that was kind of interesting that now you have a one-point play in the NFL for the first time ever. Always, always, I mean, you know, always, uh, what a fascinating statistical wrinkle. <laughs> now, you think we've seen some bad decisions at, end of, at the end of games before. Just imagine what's going to happen now. Oh, man. Well, basically, every coach is going to have to tear up those uh, those old sheets they used to have about what to do in each situation. You might as well tear those up and throw them away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's a, it's the the Shiano factor. That was funny you mentioned that. I just was thinking about that too. The, the... So I'm just I'm just imagining the <laughs> offensive line after a, a long drive and they stick the ball in the end zone. They're ready to get off the field and they see all these defensive line about to undercut them, trying to uh, block a kick. You know, trying to get them to, to fall down so somebody can jump up and block a kick. I don't imagine they're going to be very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, uh, it'll, it'll be good for kickers, I guess. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, you can get a little more kicking money in your contract. But other than that, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I, the, the rule they were, there was a proposal to change the two-point conversion to move the ball from the two-yard line to the one-yard line. And that was actually submitted by the Eagles. Surprising. Um, yeah, I know, surprising. Right? <laughs> but, uh that one did not pass. And there was some reports that there was, there were concerns within the room within among owners voting that, that that would give teams with a more athletic mobile, bigger mobile quarterback cough, cough, Cam Newton on an advantage on those plays. Oh yeah. The sky cam. Yeah. The sky cam play. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, again, I don't, you know, that's, that was sort of, that's the reporting that was done afterwards. It's not a direct quote necessarily, but I just thought that was interesting. That was the, the Prisco moment and the whole thing there. All the teams, <laughs> all, all the teams without mobile quarterback. I can see that, why that would be an issue and why that would be a concern for them. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was the Tebow play or the Cam Newton play or the, you know, Nick bringing Nick Foles in to run the, to run the quarterback sneak on a one yard. I wonder Wait, if, if 
I, I was thinking they're probably going to lead the people just having, uh, you know, a, a practice squad quarterback or a second quarterback that's athletic now. The ones that don't have one that's starting. Yeah. They, they have one as a backup. So, you know. Yeah. And even if, I mean, even with the Cam Newton situation, you really going to risk Cam Newton for two points unless the game's on the line? Yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't think so. I mean, the, the risk-reward isn't really there for that. He, those are still big hits that he's taking on those plays. Uh, I don't care how big he is. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up to him. I wonder if that's why Chip Kelly signed uh, Tebow in, in like anticipation of the, the rule possibly going through. Snatch him up. Well, that was the there was like that was the Twitter and like talk radio talk. But now I don't know. I mean, yeah. I if that was really. We'll see. see the problem. To, see to me, the thing, the problem is on that. I think he would have benefited more from the old situation and just made Tebow the holder, and then let them. You know, they come out like Oregon does. Yeah. See, is it there? And then you go with it or not? Um, now, when everybody sees that Tebow's out there, it ain't gonna be as easy anymore. It's not. You know, there's only a few things you're gonna do with Tebow down there. On a play where you gotta have two points, either you're gonna let him run it or he's gonna do the little jump pass. I don't think you're gonna scare, uh, scare many defenses with that down there, or at least as many as people think. No, Not exactly. Know what's coming. Exactly, and that one didn't pass. So, well, I mean, you're still at the two yard line for a two point conversion. So we'll see. That's kind of one of those things, though. I wonder, you know, if it was a close vote or not. You know, if it was out of 32 votes, if the if they you know, two or three, there's a margin or two or three votes if that's when you'll see on the, on the thing again too. And that even kind of gets into the idea of, you know, uh, that expanded roster comes up every year now. And and that seems like one of those things too, that's eventually going to get enough momentum to pass. And then you might have that situation where you do have, you know, instead of a quarterback on your practice squad, you've got a third quarterback on the roster and he can be, you know, that's where you bring in that, you know, fullback slash quarterback type player. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you could, yeah, I mean, they could even like add like other goal line specialists just for that role too. Like, you know, the six foot eight guys that can't block or run or anything, but they're huge in the, in the end zone and, you know, go up and catch a jump ball. You know, you could see guys like that end up on the roster, whereas they weren't before. And who knows? Maybe someday they'll figure out what pass interference really is too. So. <laughs> We've always got that to hope for. All right, I, that's 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 a good conversation about the rule changes. Let's move on. Let's talk about. I think the other big piece of news this week was Ryan Tannehill. A big contract <laughs> extension for Ryan Tannehill. It's one of those those the new quarterback contracts where it's. Uh, I think it was like a ninety. Is it ninety six million with forty five? It's takes him. It's runs through twenty twenty. Um, ninety six million, forty five million. "Quote unquote guaranteed," but I guess it's really only more like twenty, twenty-ish guaranteed in the contract. So you don't have, you know, it's more like the pay-as-you-go Andy Dalton kind of thing. But you know, mm-hmm. I think it's a good move just on the surface of it. I know the initial reaction is always, "Oh my God, what a terrible contract!" But you know, if you've got a quarterback, that's the that's the going rate, and you just you know, <laughs> Ryan Tannehill may not be Andrew Luck, but he's a hell of a lot better than you know, than 16 or so teams out there in the league. And, and if he's not a guy that's easy to find a replacement for. It looks like they're betting on him, you know, getting better and, and becoming more of a star. I think for, if you look at the way the contract is laid out, it's, it's 19.25 million per year in new money. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that 
the NFLPA and, and teams look at the, or, or most teams anyway, look at these contracts. It's the new money APY. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's a, he's lower than a lot of the elite guys, you know, in that, that, in that key category. Um, and so, you know, I think right now they're looking at it like this will be a bargain in a couple of years, especially when you see what Wilson and Locke and Cam Newton get and down the way. Um, th- those guys could be getting more like 22, 23, 24 in new money APY as, as these, these, you know, 2012 rookies uh, or sorry, 2012 quarterbacks start to get extensions. Yeah. Yeah, but just in Tannehill himself, though, I mean, I think you know, what are you, your guys' thoughts on Tannehill? I'm going to get that. I mean, this is obviously he's he's a kid that's not easy to, I think, nail down. I mean, people want to, you know, either kind of want to have a clearly defined he's an elite quarterback or he's not an elite quarterback, and it's not really, you know, the truth is most guys don't really fit into either one of those descriptions. But uh, your thoughts on Ryan Tannehill in Miami, Stephen? Um, um. I think he's a very good quarterback. You know, I've kind of said before, he's a, he reminds me a little bit of Andy Dalton in that um, he can, when he's on, he's fantastic. But when he's off, there, there's really no middle ground. Uh, you're not going to win pretty much any day when he's not on. And so mm-hmm. th- that, that's a huge uh, burden to bear for him. Um, I, I think if he could, if he could eliminate those just horrible plays, if he could at least be okay when he wasn't on, then I don't think you think twice about giving him this amount of money. It's not even an issue. It's just that he has, over the course of his career so far, been a guy that will light your ass up one week and then look very (laughs) mediocre the next. And so, you know, it's hard to trust that kind of guy, even though on those good days, man, he looks fantastic. And so... I think they've surrounded him with some more talent uh, now, uh, which is good. Uh, he couldn't, for whatever reason, he and Mike Wallace could never get on the same page. Mike Wallace has run down the field, mm-hmm. wide ass open. He can't hit him, even though he has a strong arm. Uh, I, maybe it was just the two of those guys. Now that they have uh, 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 some other guys, they got the rookie first rounder in. Uh, you, you know, they, they had Jarvis Landry already. Um They've got some some talent on offense at wide receiver. Maybe he can have a little bit more rapport with those guys. But but the the good thing about this contract, going back to the contract, is they can actually walk away from this after a couple of years. Yeah. You know, uh, now you never want to do that. You, you hope that this guy becomes your franchise quarterback. But the truth of the matter is, if he doesn't, it's not like you're locked into him for the next eight or nine years. That's right. Uh, I think after like two or three years, they can walk away, you know, wash their hands of them and, 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 and move on to somebody else. So I think they've protected themselves on, on the back end well, but he's a guy that, that is central to their success right now. And so you have to take care of that guy. I, I know uh, Seattle's uh, GM was, was saying that, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, Good luck, I mean, thank you for for making us have to break the bank for for uh, Wilson. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, when you have a guy of that caliber, you have to pay them. And of course, Wilson's going to get probably a lot more than that because he's done a lot more. But when those guys have performed the way they have, you have to pay them. You have to uh, show not only that guy but everybody around them, the rest of the team, that hey, when you perform for us, we will take care of you. And, and even though. 
Tannehill hasn't, you know, taken him to the playoffs and, and all those good things. Like I said, when he's on fire, he's something to contend with. And so you just got to get more of those days out of him and less of those just d- disastrous days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the Phil, the Joe Philbin thing's interesting. I was just, you know, thinking about that the other day, too, because, you know, there's a guy that a lot of people thought would get fired after last season, especially after how the Dolphins kind of played that last month of the season last year. I think they were they were one and three over their last four games and just kind of, you know, went from having a playoff spot in, you know, having a pretty good chance at a playoff spot for the first time in a long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were back at eight and eight to end the year, or was it even, I think eight and eight, I'm not looking at the number right in front of me. It was either eight and eight or seven and nine, but you know, they kind of topped off and there was that whole weirdness with Philbin and Tannehill at the early last season too, when Tannehill was playing all right. And he made that whole thing about, well, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, we may start Matt Moore. I don't know. It's not locked. It's not locked down or it's not set in stone going forward. We could go a lot of different and just sort of like undermines the kid. And then maybe it worked though. Maybe it was a motivational thing because, you know, there it worked. I mean, he the guy played better down the stretch too, or down the stretch of the season at least. Yeah, they he, he, he was on fire after that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I was calling for uh for his job for the coach's job after that after that whole week because it was just uh clown shoes. Basically, you know, Philbin comes out and says we don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and then Teddy says, "No, I'm starting. No, I, I am the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. The head coach won't say it. I, I'll go ahead and let y'all know I'm starting this week." And then you know uh, the backup meekly said, "Well, I haven't gotten starters rep all week anyway." Um, so it, it just seemed like a, a total shit show. And then uh, what do you know? Teddy Hill goes out there and like five games straight is balling. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it worked. Look, I thought I was like I took it all back. He, maybe he's Yoda. <laughs> Maybe he just got it all figured out, and, and we're catching up. But uh, obviously, it didn't go that way at the end of the season. But it, it, in hindsight, that was a pretty masterful move by him. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, the Dolphins seem like one of those teams that are always sort of like they always kind of have to battle through dysfunction, no matter what you, <laughs> no matter what else is going on. You know, they could win six games in a row, and there'd still be some weird Dolphins thing kind of popping up to. To throw the team in turmoil, at least in terms of what they're, you know, say what what's going on in the media side of things. But we'll see. I mean, it's a better team this year. I mean, and 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 I think if the Brady suspension holds up with the four games, it's like we talked about last week. It's a lot. You know, that AFC East and the AFC playoff race in general is a much more wide open thing now, too. Yeah, they got they got a lot better on offense. That's for sure. Or at least on paper, they did. You know. Like Steven said, they added they added uh, Devontae Parker in the first round, which I think is a really good pick. And then Greg Jennings in free agency. You know, he was he's an underrated guy in my opinion. I think you know he didn't really turn out that well in in Minnesota, but they had major you know upheaval at the quarterback position in his two years there. And then um, you know Jarvis Landry's already there. They went out and got Jordan Cameron, so mm-hmm. they've got some tools now or some some weapons, I should say. And and you know locking up Tannehill now, I think that's why they're like. They went out and got all these two, these weapons, and you know they think that their offense is going to get a lot better. And maybe they're like, let's just lock him up now before his stats kind of blow up next year, you know? And like they start asking for twenty two, twenty three per per year. 
Yeah, and I think, too, you even the running game. I mean, you know, Bill Lazor co- calls a pretty good running game, too, and you saw that Lamar Miller had a pretty good season last year, and now you throw Jay Ajay, the kid out of Boise State, if he can stay healthy into the mix. That's a nice little one-two punch at running back, too. So that obviously yeah. makes life a lot easier for a young quarterback. But yeah. This is the world, you know, and I guess now we've got contract. We mentioned the Russell Wilson one, but, you know, I guess the next dominoes to fall will be either will some order in some order will be Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, and Andrew Luck. I mean, I'm sure nobody probably, none of those three guys want to be the first one to sign a deal <laughs> because it could kind of, they all really have a, a claim or a shot at being the, the highest paid quarterback in the league at this point. Yeah, and there's no real... And I guess the Tannehill thing was a little surprising because there's not really any, like, uh, there's no deadline coming up at this point. It's There's no real impetus for the teams to get this thing done in the immediate short term, you know. And so um, I think it's just, like, Bill Polian was on Seattle Radio the other day talking about Wilson, his contract, and essentially he said, you know, uh, if the Seahawks, like, relent and, and give in to what Wilson's side is asking for, there's no guarantee Wilson's side will even, you know, sign the paper. Maybe they'll use that and, and turn around and say, actually, we want a little bit more. And and so for now, it's kind of just like they've, you know, dug their trenches in their, in their hold up for now. And then as the, you know, last second comes up, you know, that might even not be till next year. And so he was talking about how to let the, you know, the 11th hour, that's basically when this thing is going to happen. That's when these people are going to sign because then you can't really negotiate anymore. You just kind of get it done, and and that's when teams really put their final offers on the table. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then maybe somebody will want to take on a – maybe that will open some opportunities for EJ Manuel, who may or may not be done in Buffalo. Obviously, I'm just kidding <laughs> a little bit about that. But uh, <laughs> Manuel sounds like he could be an odd the odd man out and uh, – uh, the next following the Christian Ponder Florida state quarterback path of the NFL here. <laughs> is, is there any hope for Manuel? I mean, have you guys, have you guys seen enough of him to, to think that he's got a future besides a backup anywhere? Or I mean, would Buffalo kind of, you know, does this make sense for Buffalo to trade him or cut him even at this point in time? I, I don't know that he has any uh, trade uh, trade market at all. Uh, yeah. I think, the first year, I'll say he surprised me that he played as well as he did. Um, obviously, it wasn't for the whole season. Uh, he's injured and in and out of the lineup. But I think for a lot of people, we had such low expectations of him that anything he did positive was kind of like, oh, well, maybe we were wrong. <laughs> and then last year was like, no, you probably were not. <laughs> and so um, – and I look, I, I made the Bills fans look mad with me last year when, when I kind of talked about um, them moving up uh, to, to to get the wide receiver when they weren't really set at, at, at quarterback. But I think they're kind of understanding what I was saying now. When a guy has yeah. problems with accuracy, okay, there's not a lot to work with there. Right, yeah. because I don't care how big your arm is, if you can't throw it where you want, there's not a whole lot to work with there, and and that's been EJ Manuel's biggest problem going back to his college days, and so he's getting guys killed left and right last year, uh, to the point where I, I'm pretty sure Robert Woods wanted to fight him in the middle of one of the the last games he started. <laughs> I, I, it was a play, I swear to God. I think Fred Jackson kept Robert Woods from jumping on him in the middle of the game because he got him absolutely blasted. I mean, just just 
Oh, yeah. All of me I, and I, I felt bad for him. Gift of that. And, and I wrote about it, too. And, and so, look, if a guy's got a soft arm, you know, not, not a real strong arm, but he's accurate, you figure you can get his arm stronger. But accuracy itself, man, it's kind of, it's almost innate. It's almost something about it that, yeah, they can give you, you know, footwork tips and stuff like that. But you got to know how to judge how fast somebody's going and where to put the ball at that moment. And E.J. Manuel just has a huge problem with that. So I don't know. Look, he's athletic. He's got the size. He's got, he looks like a quarterback that you would want on your team until you actually get him out there throwing the football. So I just don't know that. Um, a that there will be a, a, a market for him as far as trade trading him somewhere, but at the same time, I don't know that there's they have so much talent otherwise at quarterback other than him that they can afford to just give up on him right away. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't think I don't necessarily think he'll be the starter this year, but I do think that he could at least be the number two guy just in case and still continue to try to develop them. This is a new staff. Yeah. They haven't really had their time time to get their hands on them. Maybe they'll feel like over time we can get him better. But if you're still seeing the same things, if you're still seeing the same things in this preseason that you saw in past preseasons, then, you know, at some point you got to cut your losses. Yeah. And Buffalo did sign Tyrod Taylor to a two-year deal too, which is kind of, you know, Interesting. In back in March, they signed Tyrod Taylor to that two-year deal. Right. That'll be a, you know, so that's theoretically the third quarterback on the depth chart, but could be the second quarterback by the time, you know, the roster, those first two rounds, those last two rounds of roster cuts roll around in September. Yeah, they have a whole new, you know, staff, so they're not quite as you know married to this guy either. So that's, that's obviously right. a big part of it. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. You know, they uh, they they don't have. I mean, I guess hanging on to him for just the investment sake makes sense, but they don't have a whole ton of reasons to to really, you know, stay committed to this guy at this point. Well, and at least they're not making the mistake of, you know, like going down with the shit where they're just going to try to yeah. run this guy out there because the, they spent a first-round draft pick on it, and by God, they're going to, you know, give him every chance he gets. He They can give him whether they deserve it or not. I mean, you see that time and time again – with franchises where that just, you know, torpedoes them. Yeah. <coughs> Rams never Bradford. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that just, you know, it sinks a franchise and you can't do that. And so that's, I guess that's a positive, if anything, for Bills fans, then maybe that can be the, the salve for an open wound there. And then hopefully they can get a quarterback next year. But I know that'll be interesting too, because it's like, that's a pretty good team on yep. paper. It doesn't look like a team that's going to be, you know, in the mix for a top five draft pick, all things, you know, from this vantage point at any rate. So that'll I mean, be interesting talk, to see. You, you talk about teams that are quote one quarter or a quarterback away from winning or one player away. They kind of look like one of those teams, honestly. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So it's like their defense is elite. I would say they're, you know, one of the top three defenses, top four, maybe in the league, possibly they could th- this year be the best defense in the NFL, you know, yeah. um, easily. And they've got some weapons on offense. They've got, a, you know, a couple of good running backs, you know. So, yeah, they're a team that could theoretically just be a quarterback away. So, definitely an interesting they're, – they're one of the more interesting teams to me this year. Well, and, that's a good situation and, for Castle. Oh, go ahead, Steven. I was going to say, and also, because they're so stacked now, they, they are one of the teams that actually could go out and try to trade, maybe not for, you know, 
your Tom Brady's of the world. But if there's there's a guy that's out there that whether you know he takes over because of injury or something, it's not going to be the long term starter, but looks well. Or if it's just like a kind of middle of the road guy, they have some ammunition where they can offer up. Hey, we got a bunch of guys on defense and offense that are young and productive mm-hmm. to try to get that quarterback, so they won't be you know they won't have to rely on the draft next year. Yeah. But they have a lot of different avenues to go about trying to get their franchise quarterback for them. They just have to kind of find somebody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of young quarterbacks, uh, this isn't, uh, we talk, I mean, the, the injury bug was a big subject last week because you had the Dante Fowler thing, but there's kind of another significant injury, not too significant. At least it doesn't look like it at this point, but something to watch for sure is Derek Carr in Oakland. He has, um, an injury to his ring finger, I believe, is what Chris Mortensen reported today. And it may require surgery. It doesn't look like it's the kind of thing that, you know, will jeopardize his season. But it does look like the kind of thing that right now it's questionable or not whether he'll be ready in time for training camp. That's, you know, that's kind of a blow to the Raiders. That's obviously this is his second year in the NFL. They're counting on him. They've got a decent. They've got a good young nucleus with Carr and and some guys around. And they draft. They brought in Amari Cooper in the draft in the first round of the draft this year. Something we talked about last week too. But uh, something to watch. I, do you think this is? I mean, is this a is this reason to be concerned if you're a Raiders fan? I think you know get the time is of the essence with these young guys and, and getting on the same page with your receivers is a huge deal, especially now that they've got. They have two, you know, Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, I guess, theoretically going to be the top two receivers there. And, you know, having a chance to get your second-year guy kind of on the same page with those those guys, I think that would be a big deal. And so at least you're going to be losing a little bit of that. And so that's, you know, obviously a bit of a concern. But how, how far his injury goes into the, se- or into the preseason or into the training camp, that's, uh, you know, the question. But, I mean, I think you've you got to be a little bit disappointed, obviously, that he's going to be losing some of that key time to get on the same page with his receivers and sort of get the timing down and, and get some of the, um, you know, that intangible, I guess, like rhythm with those players, you know, yeah. get that time in. It's uh, It's been a tough week for Raiders fans. I saw Mark Davis <laughs> got assaulted at the owners meeting yesterday by reporters Yikes. and fans asking him questions. <laughs> right. I, I think that, um, I don't know that it hurts the team that much as long as his finger does have time to heal up. It's his ring finger. And I actually, uh, yesterday, picked up a, a, a old football I had and tried to kind of figure, you know, how much of a, a hindrance would it be if it's your ring finger on your throwing hand? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not really one of those stability fingers when you're throwing a football. You know, you got your, your, your first, your pointer finger, and then your pinky finger. You, you, those are kind of, and then of course your thumb, your, your points of stability. I don't know that it's going to have a huge effect on him, but as a like as a team and as a franchise and as a fan base, just about all of their, I, I would say, happy thoughts going into this year has been based on Derek Carr and what they saw to him last year. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, what's his name? I keep forgetting his name. Khalil Mack. Yeah. Yeah, Khalil Mack had, had an outstanding season. Didn't necessarily show up that way on the stat sheet, but definitely improved as the season went on and was a hell of a player by the end of the season. But everybody's thinking that the Raiders might be able to turn a corner right now 
for one reason, and that's because of Derek Carr. Yeah. And so now it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, here we go again, um, possibly, where everybody's kind of a little, you know, deflated because <laughs> there goes the word again. <laughs> deflated. But everybody's kind of like, Click. man, you know, we had these high hopes and everything uh, going into this offseason. And, and here's something else that has kind of gotten in our way. So it'll be interesting to see because that's, that's kind of turning into a young team now yeah. with all the moves they made over the years. There's not really, you know, necessarily that quote unquote veteran presence to kind of get guys out of out of feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah. So uh, I think that eventually, as long as his, he doesn't have any complications uh, with that finger, eventually he'll get back into form. He should have enough time uh, between now and, and the time the training camp's over. It's just, a, you know, will they have the kind of the same confidence that they had at the start of this offseason? Because everybody was like, oh, man, look, you know, yeah, yeah we kind of struggled through this year, but – give us some more pieces and another year with, with Derek Carr and we'll be ready to go. I kind of think it takes away that enthusiasm that was around the team at first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's big. And that'll be Del Rio's task to kind of gin that up again. And, and hopefully that doesn't involve any axes in the locker room or anything. Like that. <laughs> Chopper wood. <laughs> Chopper wood. <laughs> or as PFG commenter says, what is it? What is it? Jack literally means masturbate into the river. <laughs> I can never unsee that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, all right. More, something a little more serious note. Um, it's always kind of – I always hate it when – I mean, I understand why players do it. You know, everybody's – your body can only take so much football. But after 14 years uh, – 14 seasons, rather, Justin Smith is hanging it up his cleats. San Francisco yeah. defensive end, obviously one of the – you know, one of the great defensive linemen playing the game right now, or that was playing the game right now. Always fun to watch a guy like that. Former Haas of the Week award winner, Justin Smith, I should say. <laughs> um, but that's a big, that's another big loss for the 49ers. Doesn't it seem like it? Yeah, they've been having a rough offseason in terms of losing guys. And, you know, obviously uh, Patrick Willis retired, Chris Borland retired, and um, now losing Justin Smith officially, I, I think most people had prepared themselves for this, you know, eventuality, but, um, yeah, cause he, he, he was such a key piece of their defense. You know, he, he was all pro at like defensive end and defensive tackle, you know, that just mm-hmm. tells you how just dominant he was on every time he took a snap on the field, you know, and you have to account for him like anywhere you are, like you have to game plan for him. Um, and so, and that's a big deal. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Alden Smith this year. You know, obviously they did a lot of stunts and um, like offensive line or defensive line games together and, and Smith would take up two blocks and Alden, Alden uh, I should say Justin Smith would take up two blocks. And then Alden, you know, was so good at exploding, you know, past that and, and getting sacks and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how he does without, you know, without his line buddy there. And so um, it could be, you know, a big deal for them. Obviously it's hard to replace a guy of his, you know, ability, you know, he's still, even when he was playing like 60% of the snaps, he's still such a huge impact player late in his career. And so, uh, you know, that's going to be tough for them. Steven, Uh, your thoughts on all the concern in Danny's voice too. You can, you can just tell he's so (laughs) broken up about the 49ers losing all this talent at once, right? But, um, I'm broke off about it. <laughs> but, I mean, Justin Smith is one of those guys that I think every single player in the league respects him. Yeah. I would be 
I bet you'll be hard pressed to find anybody that doesn't respect them. Now they might not have, you know, the most flowery words to say about him, <laughs> but they all respect him because of how he goes about his business. You, you just watch him out there and he's destroying people. And he's the kind of guy, and, and really Alden has kind of picked this up from Justin Smith as well. They're both these guys that are big and skilled and strong and fast and quick and who could get by with a lot of finesse moves. They could still be very productive yeah. guys if they ran around people, but they would much rather run through you and make you feel it every single <laughs> yeah. play. And you could just see that about, like, Justice Smith would probably hate himself if he made a finesse move on somebody. Like, <laughs> even if it worked, even if he got a sack, he'd just be like, "Now nah, I really should have jacked that guy up just then. <laughs> and, and that's the thing you love about watching this film, man. It's just like, just, just play after play of him beating guys up physically in front of him before he ever gets to whoever has the ball. And so, you know, he's played a long time. Uh, I'm sure his body is is at a point now. uh, I I think he was complaining about a shoulder injury Mm -hmm. that that never seemed like his shoulder never got back right. I'm sure his body, after all that, man, is pretty much ready to just tap out right now. But but it's going to be a huge hole for them because he's, He's done it not just, you know, a couple plays here or there. He did it day in, day out, game in, game out, play after play after play. And so he by himself will wear out opposing offensive lines sometimes by the end of by, by the time the fourth quarter rolled around. Yeah. And now you don't have that guy. And, and, and now you got some guys that that are talented, that 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 you know are, are are going to try to take his place, walk in his footsteps, but nobody's gonna be able to do it. Just like him, I know they got um, what's his name from the Cardinals, uh, uh, Darnell Dockett. Yeah, and Dockett's a big, strong guy too. He likes to, you know, mix it up as well. But he, even he, is just not the same as Justin Smith. Mm-hmm. And so there's they're gonna lose something. There's no way around it. No one, two, or three guys is gonna be able to make up for what Justin Smith brought to that team for years and years. But I will say this: I do think that. Alden Smith relied on him a lot more earlier on in his career than he has lately. And we, we know he had the, the, the suspensions and stuff. But but now as I watch Alden, like I said, you can see parts of Justin Smith's game in Alden when Alden is pass rushing. Because Alden used to try to run around guys a lot more than he does now. Now he's one of those guys who's going to try to beat you up all game too. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to see much of a drop-off from Alden but I do think you're going to see it from other guys because Alden's just a guy I think that right now, after you know uh, everything he's learned from Justin Smith and everything he's learned, period, is a guy who can win all on his own. He doesn't really need a whole lot of help. Those other guys, I can't really say the same for them. So, yeah. like you know, it's a big transition for for the 49ers, period, but especially on defense now because he brought so much more to their defense than just being a very good defensive end or defensive tackle. He he was just, you know, he, he was just like the bell cow. He he brought everybody else with him when he was up there in the you know on the front lines kicking ass. He had I'm just looking at the numbers now and these aren't these are this is from Pro Football Focus, so it's not official, but it's you know it's it's ballpark at the very least. He had the second or third most quarterback pressures of anybody on that team last year. And I know Alden Smith missed ten games, so that's something you gotta factor in, but you know, he had nine hits and 20 hurries, and that's more hits than anybody else on the team had. 
I mean, just, you know, there he was at 34 years old. He's still tearing shit up out there. Well, yeah. Once he, older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <old>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I know. Essentially, he was doing it with one arm. Yeah. Uh, he And the other thing, I mean, obviously, there's the intangible, like, you know, he's a badass and guys will, will follow him and, and he gets them pumped up and things like that, you know. That I think that having Dockett on the line now, it kind of replaces that because he has the same sort of attitude. But I think, you know, there was just that he's kind of like their general, you know, you want, you want to, you follow him through, through hell. And I, it'll be interesting to see if that shows up at all in terms of the, the leadership loss as well. Cause he's just, I mean, like the, he defines the word country strong, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's like, He's not even like the biggest dude on the field. I think he's like you know six four, six five, like two eighty five or something like that. But he's like tossing offensive linemen around, and that's like you know he's just a rare guy in that sense. And so um, it's kind of interesting to like think that in the NFL at that level there are guys that are just that much stronger than these other like one percent athletes in the world. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, he he was he's a special special player, and so. Um, you know, he, Steven jokes, I, I'm really torn up about it, but honestly, like he, he, he was just such a fun player to watch. Like you hate him, but you love, like you love watching him. Cause he's just that good. You know, so every year in, in terms of for the Seahawks, like lining up against him is such a big challenge. And it was always like the greatest rivalry. So it's, it's, it is a bummer that he, he's retiring just because he was such a good player and, and everyone in Seattle, I know respects him. I, I have literally, I have watched, I saw Justin Smith play in high school because he's from Jefferson City, Missouri, played oh, in a high wow. school called Holt Summit. And that was a team that, they weren't in the same conference as my high school was, but it was a team that you'd see every now and then you'd get a game against them. And it was, it, it was just like, you could even tell then. It's like, Ooh, hold <laughs> it, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> it's like, because he's like one of those guys out, you know, you, know, you watch high school football and there's always that, you know, it's still the level of competition. If there's one or two guys on the field that stand out above the rest, you know, that like are literally rated recruits and stuff like that. Like you just, the difference it makes, it's, it's just yeah. like, holy shit. But yeah, I, I can remember that. I mean, I had no idea who he was at the time. And then he went to, to MU and he kind of played his college ball during a period in my life. I was in college and, you know, running around after college then. So I didn't see him follow him at Mizzou as much, and then, then again until he got in the NFL. But yeah, like, yeah, I can remember that. It was just kind of a weird moment in personal history there. Was, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he dominated to see a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, it's cool that you miss like, you you miss you'll miss not seeing him, and you'll notice it when you watch a 49ers game this year. But you know that's the game, and that's the way it is. We got to watch him for 14 awesome seasons, and interestingly enough. I know sacks aren't the end-all, be-all stat, but seven years with the Bengals and seven years with the 49ers, he had 43-and-a-half sacks with each team. Oh. <laughs> that's <Perfect>. consistency. Symmetrical. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. All right, last but not least, um, and we did, I did this last so that if you're really sick of Deflategate, you can, you can hang up now. <laughs> Smart. That's right. It's the, but so yesterday was kind of a big day for Deflategate stuff. Um, I think the big story was Robert Kraft, um, a very disappointed Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, uh, coming to the podium <laughs> at the owner's meeting and saying that they, quote-unquote, reluctantly would not appeal the punishment handed down by the league. Were you guys surprised by that? I, I would I, say that I wasn't that surprised by it. 
Um, I thought that, you know, he's done a lot of posturing from day one. Yeah. On this, uh, you know, from demanding an apology and, you know, all the statements he's made since the Wells report came out. But I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I noticed um, after the Wells report came out was I saw Jerry Jones, of all people, kind of patting Roger Goodell on the back and saying, you know, he's doing a great job. Yeah. And there's been instances before where we were kind of wondering, you know, what do the owners think about something that Goodell did? And then they would all come out and talk about he's doing a great job. So, we, you know, we'll figure out eventually, of course, well, they're not mad at him. They're not going to do anything. And just that statement from from uh, Jerry Jones at that moment, after the Wells report, after, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Kraft made his, his feelings known that he wasn't happy about it, I, I started thinking to myself, like, that he might find himself kind of on the outside looking in with the rest of the owner. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, he might be mad, and yeah, he might want to get some get back later on with Goodell, but there's 31 other owners that he has to deal with. And so, yeah, he's one of the more prominent owners, but if he walked into those meetings and found out that, you know, he thought he was going to walk in there and everybody's going to be on his side, and they was like, yeah, Goodell overreaching. We don't <laughs> want this to happen to us. Uh-huh. And then found out that everybody was more like, yeah, y'all getting y'all, you know, this is karma. Y'all finally have <laughs> karma catching up with you. You need to go over in the corner and be quiet. <laughs> then I think that probably um, led to that statement that he made because I kind of feel like if he had more uh, support in the owners' meetings, you know, in the room, he would have went ahead and tried to, whether it be go through the court system or what have you, to try to get this overturned because, look, I mean <laughs> – there's no way around it. You've won these Super Bowls, and every single time uh, a, 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 an act of cheating has come up after this. And so yeah. there's no way to not put an asterisk beside them now. Yeah. And so you, you've had one of the most ses- successful runs of any franchise in the history of the NFL, and you got two asterisks beside it. So, of course, you're going to want to erase those, at least yeah. one of them. Um, so for him to come out and make that statement – I don't think he heard what he thought he was going to hear when he got around his fellow owners, and that, that just put uh, the pressure on him to kind of let it go. So I wasn't that surprised, but, you you know, you never know. Uh, some owners are just going to be obstinate, and, and they don't care. But I think Robert Kraft is one of those guys. Look, we're not used to him being as aggressive as he's been with mm-hmm. this in the first place. So this is out of character for him anyway. I think he kind of got there and, and – kind of came to his senses, so to speak, and was like, this is not who I am. This is not really what I want to be known as. I'm going to go ahead and let, uh, um, you know, Tom Tom Brady fight it out, but we'll just accept. I mean, it's, look, yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, Belichick doesn't want to lose the uh, the draft picks, but look, it's a million dollars. I mean, that's pocket change for him. He might yeah. have spent a million dollars last, last week on, on, at the horse race. So yeah. who knows? Well, and I thought it was interesting too on on, on two points. They he, he kind of ra- they raised an issue in that. I mean, first of all, when you appeal, whether you take it to court or whether you go through the NFL appeals process, if you get in there and you're you know have that sort of soft subpoena power, or whatever that the appeals process has, but especially in a court, you got to be a little cautious of what's going to come out because there's always stuff that's going to come out that you don't necessarily want to come out. You know what I mean? (laughs) If they're looking at your phone, like just (laughs) even like Brady's phone records, but if they're getting a subsequent interview 
with, you know, Jim McNally out of that, or if they're calling him to the stand, or if they're opening up, you know, the Patriots email communications and stuff like that, then, you know, you might find there might be something in there you don't want the rest of the world to see. And then I thought it was also interesting because one of the points Kraft made, and, and he, he really hammered this in that article, in that interview he did with Peter King this week, um, which was, I guess that was just yesterday morning, which my God, it doesn't, it seems like it's been a week ago that that's all played out. But it's, um, they made an interesting point about the, the concerns they have with the power concentrated in Goodell's hands. But Kraft was right there at Goodell's right-hand side and Jeff Pash and all those other guys when they signed and they negotiated that 2011 collective bargaining agreement. And where did that 2011 collective bargaining agreement put the power? Right there in Roger Goodell's hands when it comes to player and employee discipline. So he doesn't have a lot of room to, to talk about that in the first place. But then he can let it go and let Brady and the union make this a pretty high-profile case and fight that same point on their terms. Because the union's going to do it anyway, obviously. I mean, as a matter of principle. But now you get the union's got a chance to do this with a guy like Tom Brady. And, you know, not just the sports pages aren't going to be the only places that are talking about it. Every, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, everybody out there that covers news in some way or another is going to be interested in this because it's Tom Brady now that's, that's saying Goodell has too much power, not the union or not some guy that, you know, you caught on video beating his wife that it's hard to sympathize for, even though he may have a good legal case to stand on. It's hard to sympathize with Greg Hardy or Ray Rice or those guys considering the act here. But Tom Brady's a whole different ball game, And I think this is, opens up a pretty interesting legal battle. And you notice right after Kraft said that, within an hour, that's when the union officially called for Goodell to step aside as the, as the arbitrator in that. So we're not done with this by any means. I think we're going to have plenty more deflate gate to be talking about between. No. <laughs> I know you're disappointed. Everyone, but plenty more deflate gate to talk about as the uh, weeks and months go by. I suspect that'll keep us in business all summer here. So, uh, <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. So with that, um, guys, thanks again for tuning in. It's been a good podcast. Um, we'll do this again next week. How about that? Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Well, Danny, Stephen, take care. Have a good day and uh, try to enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs> All right. Thank you.